from the Mercy One Studio. Making it personal with Bishop William Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Welcome to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. I'm Kelly Mesher-Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. On today's show, we're visiting with Father Sebastian White, a Dominican friar and editor-in-chief of Magnificat Magazine. But before we get to today's interview, let's find out what's on the bishop's mind. Good morning, Kelly. Good well, morning. These are seismic times that we're living in, and the world kind of turned upside down in a way. Uh, it's been uh, a time of great testing for all of us and mm-hmm. sifting, and our hearts are very much with uh, the people in areas that are most particularly hard hit. I think we'll be speaking with Father Sebastian White about New York City and things, but uh, we know the ripple effects of this virus, and, and you know, we try to... Uh, make sense of these things in a way. We want to reflect where our faith is. Uh, you know, I think someone described hope in, in times like, such as this is mm-hmm. faith in a tight spot. Mm-hmm. And uh, we feel very much the constriction of our lives. We haven't been uh, ordered to shelter in place yet, but I think most of us as Iowans are very much uh, complying and trying to use very good sense in this. But uh, our faith seeks to kind of make sense. I was speaking to uh, the uh, command team at Mercy Hospital uh, last week and saying that's one of the occupational hazards for clergy, I think, sometimes is to over-explain, and I think we're all humbled before this great mystery and, you know, seeking what God is asking of mm-hmm. us, but we do so tenaciously believing in a God who loves us, and, mm-hmm. you know, as we move into the Holy Week that's upcoming, uh, we think about, uh, you know, the Lord who entered into the deepest mystery of our, our human experience mm-hmm. and knows that ache and yearning that we have. You know, we think about in Luke's Gospel when he says, I've greatly desired to eat this uh, meal with you, and then... Uh, in Matthew's gospel, you know, I'll not eat and drink again until I drink it, the, the meal with you again in the kingdom of heaven. And so I think our Eucharistic hunger and the, and the great uh, longing of the people of God to, to commune with Jesus in the Eucharist and that this has been asked to them as a spiritual sacrifice, uh, very profound in this time and uh, joined to the other crosses that people are bearing, the livelihood of employment and things that uh, have happened with that as mm-hmm. well. I've learned more in the last week about FEMA and Small Business Administration uh, regulations and other things that are coming down with our government provision, trying to mobilize these for our uh, pastoral community and our parishes and things, uh, school and other employees that are being affected by this. But we know that this is happening across society in so many ways. And so the uncertainty that we're faced with and the need ever more to be in solidarity with one another and to use our creativity to be light to each other. So I think that's uh, something that we're all uh, trying. And I, I think people should know that, you know, though priests, are, I think, have been very creative in uh, mm-hmm. celebrating sure. the, the Eucharist, it's still the whole body of Christ gathered every time, mystically present, <laughs> every time the Mass is celebrated in that way. But the desire of priests to be with people and to to, uh, to be that. So today's uh, Chrism Mass is an example mm-hmm. of that. We Normally that's a chance for the whole local church, the Diocese of Des Moines, to be represented as we consecrate the Chrism oils, the oil of catechumens, and the oil of infirm and the sick. And so, uh, and it's also time for priests to to deepen their fraternity with each other as they renew their priestly promises. So this year, uh, on a micro scale, and uh, I could say it's going to happen at an undisclosed location, but it's, <laughs> it is actually going to be in St. Mary's in Anita uh, rather than at the cathedral, and select members of the Prisbergal Council as we respect those guidelines for no more than 10 people present. But those oils will flow, radiate out through the diocese as the Prisbergal Council members take them so that will be the the font of new blessing for us, even as in the Easter season. We know that many of the sacramental celebrations of confirmation and other things are being delayed. 
until we have clarity about uh, where we can again be together as a, as a community of faith and how that uh, goes on as well. So, so it'll be, again, a, an opportunity uh, for us to be together. But to believe that the treasury of sacramental graces is open for us, those who participate in unity with the Holy Father last week in his extraordinary prayer service, mm-hmm. a sense of the poor church we are as he stood almost solitary in a kind of gloomy St. Peter's Square, so though the heavens were crying that day uh, and that prayer, and uh, very moved as he kind of came before the naked Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. We are people who've been stripped bare, and that the veil between life and death is, is parted in a way, as we're mm-hmm. so conscious of those who ask to uh, pass over now to the embrace of the Heavenly Father. So we'll talk more about that, but uh, that's uh, kind of our, our whole kind of horizon right now. All right. We're going to take a quick break and return. We'll visit with Father Sebastian White, a Dominican friar and editor-in-chief of Magnificat Magazine. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio. Hi, this is Father John Ricardo, and I want to thank Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory for underwriting Christ is the Answer. Losing a loved one, as we know, is never easy, and it can leave you feeling lost and even hopeless at times. But Caldwell Parish helps ease that burden by sincerely caring both about your loss and about your faith. Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory is Des Moines' only Catholic-owned and operated funeral home. Their number is 515-276-0551 or online at caldwellparish.com. Thank you, Blessment International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not. Each year, Blessment International leads Central Iowans on a 12-day, all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at BlessmanInternational.org. That's BlessmanInternational.org. Take me to a different place where love is not illusion-based. Welcome back. I'm Kelly Mesher-Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. Our guest today is Father Sebastian White, a Dominican friar and editor-in-chief of Magnificat Magazine. Good morning, Father Sebastian. Thank you for making time for us here amidst all that's going on in your own kind of tumultuous world in, in New York City and the, and the Bronx and Yonkers and things as well. We've never actually met in person uh, but I feel like in some way I kind of established a rapport with you, kind of through some of our email messages and things. So That's right. Yeah. So. It's a pleasure to be on with you, and I'm um, grateful for the invitation, Bishop. Yeah, no, you're you're most welcome. And uh, I, I must say a little bit that uh, some of us out here in the heartland take a little exception when we see, obviously, Governor Cuomo is very... Uh, uh, ardently uh, mindful of his people. He wants the, the public welfare and the, the health and protection of the people under his authority. But uh, not to set up any kind of antagonism that uh, people out here in the Midwest are not saying, well, that's a metropolitan issue, that's a coastal issue. It's not just for our own livelihood or well-being that we're concerned, but very much our solicitude for, for all of you and our prayers and our suffering with you and all the people of New York City and the greater metropolitan area. And so uh, Thank yeah, you. that's, a, that's something that just kind of, why, why introduce that kind of antagonism? And, and so, you know, sure. it's not uh, some kind of detachment from that as well. But uh, mm. Yeah. Well, so. New York, New York, New York has always sort of 
conceived of itself as being the center of the <laughs> center of, the, <laughs> of culture in the world. So, yeah. Yes, and uh, you know, I've seen that poster. You know, where you you look west of the Hudson and there's L.A. You know, I mean, so that there's nothing really except flyover country here. But uh, but some of us actually have a decent life most of the time. <laughs> That's but uh, we're suffering, and 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 I say that not just because my dad grew up in the South Bronx, though he was not Catholic at the time, but uh, so he became a convert as you did at one point. Is that right? You're you're not. Uh, yes. Well, um, thanks for asking, yes. So I was actually baptized as an infant in the Catholic Church. My parents had been married in the Church. Uh, my father grew up, he's um, part Lebanese, so my family's part Lebanese, and my mother's French-Canadian, so they had a Catholic background um, and were married in the Church. My older sister and myself were, were both baptized as, as infants, but then very, very shortly after I was baptized, my parents um, got kind of swept into a Protestant church with friends and different Bible studies and whatnot. And um, so I was raised with no practice of the Catholic faith, mm-hmm. no experience of the Catholic church. But we 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 were devout. We went to church um, throughout, my, throughout my childhood. And then when I went to college, I went to Gordon College in Massachusetts, evangelical school north of Boston. And it was there that I began to read and um, understand and ask questions, bigger questions about the church and about the faith, and um, had to visit, you know, I, I just went to different churches uh, throughout my time there. I mean, there's nothing too scientific about it, except who had a, you know, which place a friend was driving to, you know, that, that Sunday or whatever. So Whoever had a um, coffee bar or something? Or? Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Some churches, that's right, some churches had provided a van, you know, so it was, it was, um, it was a, it was it was an interesting experience and one where I began to have to make these types of choices and decisions for the first time. You know, when I was growing up, I just went to church with my family. But did that um, but kind of instill also, a love for the word for you? Maybe as a kind of precursor to to what you're about now. Yeah, it, it did. That's right. We um, we took the Bible seriously. We took um, prayer seriously, um, and my family, my parents, really. Um, were took raised, they raised us um, as as Christians. You know, they, my parents were actually I think somewhat moved and, and influenced early on by focus on the family. They found that to be I know they just found that to be some of that to to be helpful, and um, so they they really valued um, praying praying as a family and reading the scriptures and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and but then it was it, it just began to ask questions as I as I was on my own and um, during my time at Gordon I started going to a um, an Anglican church kind of high Anglican church mm-hmm. and then I made the acquaintance of a of a Catholic convert and author who had taught at Gordon for many years named Thomas Howard um, and um, so I read some I read a book first initially by him called Evangelical is Not Enough, and then I read a book called On Being Catholic by him, um, published by Ignatius Press, and they were they were very, very helpful to me. Mm-hmm. And he became a very dear friend. He and, he and his wife, Lovelace, um, mm-hmm. became very dear friends and very helpful to me. He so, was the first guest ever on Marcus Grodi's The Journey Home, as I know, as I recall. So, um, well, there um, you have it. There you have it. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was partly an intellectual conversion, but obviously personal relationships mm-hmm. were pivotal for you mm-hmm. in that. And then That's relationships right. with mm-hmm. the Dominicans, of all things. How did that uh, yeah. come about? 
Yes. Yeah, so after I um, after college and after I re- came back to the church, returned to the church, was confirmed in, in 2004 at Easter, I went to Austria. I went to a small town in Austria called Gaming and um, studied for two years at a place called the International Theological Institute. And then I worked for two years for Franciscan University of Steubenville, which has a study abroad program there as uh, uh, there as well. It's an old Carthusian monastery, beautiful place. And um, during my time there, I had a Dominican professor. Uh, he was the prior of the community in Vienna, and he would come out to this um, institute a couple of days a week and teach theology classes. So he was the first Dominican that I got to know, and um, eventually one summer I needed to learn to study German, and I did something which to me now it seems almost unthinkable, but I, I asked him, um, I just asked him if I could live with the community <laughs> for the summer, um, and I, I don't it's really know why. It's rather precocious of you. I yeah, mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but he asked the community, and they said they said that was fine, they, they accepted that, you know. Um, and you know, I realize now it's, it's just, it was a un, somewhat unusual request, but he they they were open to it. They had the room. It's a big, beautiful um, priory in Vienna. It's one of the one of the oldest um, priories in in the world of the Dominican order that that has been continuously inhabited by Dominicans um, since the since the 13th century. So, so some of the bloodlines. Um, yeah. Now yeah. you know, just because I lived at Providence College at the Priory there when I was doing my hospital chaplaincy at Rhode Island Hospital, that doesn't mean I ended Wonderful. up a Dominican. So, <laughs> so God has <laughs> God has different ways, different ways here. But uh, so we're we're grateful that the the Spirit blew blew you that direction. Thank but, you. Uh, Thank so. Uh, you know, you, you had some big shoes to follow with Father Peter John Cameron and his kind of role in kind of igniting yeah. the Magnificat ministry. How do you kind of draw from him, but uh, where maybe your own kind of sense of your role as editor-in-chief? Yeah, well, Father Peter's, um, Father Peter's um, editorship for, for 20 years really made it what it is. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, and um, so I, I was... I was uh, very surprised, very, I mean, d- delighted when, um, when this opportunity came, and um, I've just been, I've been reading Magnificat for many years, and um, so I've known who he is. Of course, he's gotten to know him since I had become a Dominican myself, and um, so th- there's his, his choice of saints, his choice of texts in the meditations, um, his, the way he writes and uh, ex- explains the gospel and writes about the, the scriptures and um, all of that I have been inspired by um, for a number of years anyway, you know, and just the, 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 the features that, that are in Magnificat, um, the saint who, you know, for example, one of our most popular features, these are the most of what we see is is due to his inspiration and his leadership um and so i've been grateful to kind of to continue that and um he told me when i was first taking taking uh, taking over that um you know he said i I, i've had my favorites you know certain certain authors that i use a lot and you'll have yours too and um and and i've seen that you know i mean we we there's a, a lot of overlap and and continuity um, with you know, the selection of the great saints and spiritual authors, and um, you know there are certain 
certain books that Father Peter was reading, certain authors that Father Peter was was moved by um, himself very personally and, and very greatly, and um, and there are others that you know that that I have. You, I think you see in in Magnificat the fruit uh, of the of the of the editor's own prayer and spiritual reading. You know, um, that that's fascinating. You know, that your own yeah. imprint then, and and the mm-hmm. selection of the, the meditations and other things that are there. Mm-hmm. And again, sometimes things either that Father Peter John uh, crafted or things that kind of come up with sometimes, you know, with the Holy Week and some of the devotional exercises. And they're kind of like old friends for some of us who've been That's right. tracking That's with right. it for 20 years or more, you know, kind of, That's right. ah, you yeah. know, just like some of those familiar readings in the Office of Readings. And uh, I know some of us kind of, even my mom, you know, we kind of like when we're reading a meditation or, or whatever, kind of like, oh, I think I know who this is before we turn the page and actually see the name. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can kind of tell. Right. That's right. You <laughs> learn. That's right. You can learn. A certain style, right? That, that's mm-hmm. right. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, that's exactly right. So, uh-huh. um, so uh, we're in the midst of this crisis, uh, COVID nineteen, Corona, and Magnificat has kind of stepped up, uh, trying to be ever more a resource for the people of God. How are how yes. are you doing that? Well, the first the first thing is we've made um, we've made Magnificat available for free. Um, so Magnificat dot com slash free. Um, and you can view, you can have access to the whole, to the whole um, publication, the whole magazine, um, through a little kind of online flip book version, or or through the app. We've also given access to the app for free, which is a convenient and easy way to to use it. Um, so that's the first the first thing that we we've done, and we're communicating a lot with our subscribers. I'm writing letters and and writing, um, uh, trying to be trying to encourage our. Uh, all the readers during this time, and and I think just where where, where nobody can can go to mass, or where people aren't being able to go to mass, or just following on TV, or just praying through the texts of the mass and the scriptures themselves. I think Magnificat is is a great great resource because it it gives them a, a kind of very simple, concrete, prayerful, um, and beautiful way to, to to do that just just from their home. Um, where they're not able to um, to be in their parish. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think you know. Hopefully, maybe that'll enlarge the family. That's not your hidden agenda, but that people ever more. I mean, for some of us who just know that this is such a resource, I find even as you know, though I pray the office, uh, that the clergy pray that uh, turning to some of the uh, intercessions in the morning or evening prayers kind of broadens my circle of consciousness mm. and, and yeah. mindful of that kind of giving greater texture to the intercession that we lift up for, for people in that, in that right. particular regard. So you're not making your uh, trek right now from the city up to Yonkers or no, any, no Metro no. North or anything like that right now? That's huh? right. Yeah, so. That's right. I mean, that, that the, the subway is still, is still going here and the trains are still just on a, on a much um, a reduced schedule, but um, for the time being, I've just been been avoiding it until at least we're past the kind of what what they're predicting to be the, the sort of peak or kind of uh, the most acute um, uh, moments of of this here in New York, at least. So, so eventually, I'll be going, I'll, I'll begin going back to the office. But given given we can do a lot electronically right now, mm-hmm. so it's it's a great that's a great. Um, that that's been a great uh, help, and uh, to be able to continue to to produce um, the content, so we can make sure that Magnificat still gets out. So, do you find it a kind of a, a 
evangelical challenge for yourself. Now more time with your confreres, you know, that you have to practice fraternal charity more than <laughs> Somebody, ever before. Right. You're very good, Bishop Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, one of, the, one of the brothers said recently, it's like, a, it's like, it's like being back in the novitiate again. <laughs> you can't escape it. So, uh, the uh, formation never ends, does it? <laughs> Conversion, right, so. we're always called. <laughs> yeah. Any right. hopes so or in- vision for the church? Yeah. We've got about a minute left here or yeah. so. Two minutes, actually. I think we're okay So, about uh, that. But just kind of broadening your, your, your hopes for what Magnificat might be or do or just for the church well, in I general. Just, yeah. I just I hope that this is a moment where people that— I think there are graces that come through this. Um, you know, you think, of course, it's a, it's a very serious thing. It's a difficult thing to be prevented from receiving the sacraments regularly. But I, but I, I, I just really pray that through um, our prayer as a nation, through especially people that are praying with Magnificat, that we develop an even greater longing and hunger and appreciation for the sacraments and for our faith. You know, when something's removed, um, when our familiar routines and are removed, and we realize how how precious and how great a treasure they are. And so, um, I'm hoping that when all of this is settled settled down, you know, there's a there's a great um, renewal, and people are enthusiastic to return to church, and and more appreciative, and more more attached, more attached than ever to mass and confession, and um, and to the practice of their faith. I'm one with you in that hope, and you know, I think. Uh... The stark image of Pope Francis last week in that prayer, you know, he often said, I pray for a poor church, and part of me thought, well, I think we've, God has granted that prayer in this way, and and I think that's That's always where the potency of the gospel then is allowed to to be activated and, and sewn into people's hearts in a new way and uh, that hunger That's that right. we have. So very grateful for your ministry and that you're taking on this Thank yoke. You. It uh, can be kind of daunting, I imagine, but know of our prayers for you and, uh, again, for Thank you. for all all people of, of faith and goodwill and uh, the first responders and everyone who are doing so much, laying their lives on the line for us as well. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on and, and my prayers with you and, and, and the people of your diocese as well. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. Impoverished children break everyone's heart, but poverty seems like such a big problem. What can one person do to make a difference? For 17 years, Blessman International's passion has been to connect the resources of our donors with sustainable programs that impact the lives of impoverished children in South Africa. Our donors are feeding thousands of hungry children every week, providing basic water and sanitation for impoverished communities, and sharing the love of God in practical ways every day. Go to www. BlessmanInternational.org and make your donation today. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Welcome back. I'm Kelly Mesher Collins of the Diocese of Des Moines. Well, great to hear from Father Sebastian White. Yes, kind of an initial uh, 
encounter for me with him, uh, again, in the technology making all this possible, and uh, Iowa Catholic Radio and Spirit Radio as well, Spirit mm-hmm. Catholic Radio in Omaha, all that they're doing to mm-hmm. connect us as a, a church and a diocese, so we're grateful right. for that. That song, i got to give a shout-out to my uh, classmate, mm-hmm. uh, Carol Kleinschmidt-Zimmerman, who pointed that out to me, her daughter Hannah, who's 25, kind of on her uh, music list and things, mm-hmm. and I just feel like that kind of speaks, I think, broadly beyond you know even faith language to the hope that we want to have, that God always is never outdone in generosity. So that can kind of weave its way into your consciousness, The Best is Yet to Come by Shepherd. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, I get no royalties for plugging any of these things, <laughs> but uh, thank you, Carol, for that recommendation. Keep them coming, if you will, uh, channeling Hannah or whatever in that way. Uh, I think we want to just, again, highlight for people, I think, to, to ease consciousness and sow the peace that only Jesus can bring. And we enter into Holy Week. Most of us want to feel like we're right with God as we approach Easter, whether we think about the Easter duty, the the, the need to receive communion, and if we're conscious of having sin seriously, to, to go to confession during mm-hmm. sometime between the beginning of Lent through the Feast of Corpus Christi. But obviously, circumstances beyond our control. So mm-hmm. again, the treasuries of the church, the power of the keys are placed at our disposal with what's called the plenary indulgence, the remission of all temporal punishment due to sin already forgiven, and there have been some specified circumstances, obviously mm-hmm. uniting with the Holy Father last week, our Archbishop Gomez of the USCCB president of Los Angeles is holding up to us a week from today, the Good Friday, to do the Litany of the Sacred Heart and to pray that. But I think there's just broader freedom here in the ways in which with a genuine uh, intention in our lives to intercede, uh, to believe by detachment from sin. We don't want to sin. If we know we sin seriously, that when the opportunity again presents itself, we'll go to confession. We pray for the intentions of the Pope by maybe the rosary or making the way of the cross uh, in our own way, reciting the creed, the Our Father, and the Hail Mary, perhaps praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet, uh, praying uh, with Scripture maybe using the Magnificat app Mm -hmm. for 30 minutes or so and just kind of sitting with the Lord. All of these are ways that not only for ourselves, but interceding for persons who've been afflicted by the pandemic, maybe they've already passed over and died, uh, all of these things that we can unite for each other. And so uh, to believe that we are forgiven and uh, that we don't have to turn our face from God, but to seek his face always. And so we're grateful for that. So I just want to really highlight that. And I'll mm-hmm. be doing that in some of my messages to the people of the diocese and Holy Week and, and things. And maybe even to light a candle a little bit. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Sure. What do you got going on uh, culturally, Kelly? Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, Anthony Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci, everybody has seen him on TV. He is, um, you know, he's uh, actually with the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Everybody's seen him talking about the coronavirus. But he is a Jesuit. He credits his Jesuit Um, training for helping him explain complex situations in lay terms. Now, he's not a Jesuit priest himself. No, he's not. Okay, all right. Well, (laughs) a lot of Jesuit priests don't wear a Roman collar, so I thought, you know, wear a tie. I didn't know. Okay, a a Jesuit priest. (laughs) But um, he graduated um, from Regis, which was a a Catholic school, in 1958. He went on to study at another Jesuit school, the College of the Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts. I think I described it. Worcester, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I said that right, yeah. So um, anyway, so yeah, he has a Catholic background, and um, he was also uh, critical in emergency planning for the AIDS epidemic. So he has quite a history. He's worked with, I think, six presidents now. And um, he said, I went to Our Lady of Guadalupe Grammar School in Brooklyn and Regis High School. And so he um, definitely has his Catholic 
upbringing, and so I'm sure he's praying as well. And that's, you know, a man of science. Uh, mm-hmm. As they say, they're tracking the data, but uh, that faith sure. can be mm-hmm. part of the ambiance, if you will, where that happens. So mm-hmm. so we can be grateful sometimes for the yeah. Jesuits and what they do <laughs> as well. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, good. Yeah, so then uh, on some lighter news, um, did you ever watch The Office? <laughs> The office? Yeah, once in a while I did. Okay. Why do you laugh, Kelly? <laughs> I'm like, totally. <laughs> well, I'm thinking of your Saved by the Bell reaction. <laughs> okay, okay. So well, first you're making fun of my old Brady Bunch hair, but anyway, all right. I think we have to call this a day. Okay, all right, enough, it, enough. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, this has been another edition of Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. Thank you to our guests and all of our listeners in central Iowa and Nebraska and Wisconsin on Iowa Catholic Radio on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. You can hear Making It Personal with Bishop William Jonson every week on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com.